this episode of Appalachian Monsters and Mysteries. I'm Belle. And I'm Miley. And today we're going to be talking about the Sodder children. For us, this is a pretty well-known case. We're, yeah, we're, we're pretty very used to well talking about with this. It. Yeah. Um, but for a lot of other people in the state, which is West Virginia, wild, wonderful, where we're from. <laughs> yeah, calm down. Uh, I noticed a ton of people didn't know about the Sodder children. Mm-hmm. And it's in freaking Fayetteville, which is like... Yeah. Oh, that's super close to us. Yeah, I know my family didn't know, and neither did mine. My mom was like, "Why do you know about these things?" <laughs> mom does not talk <laughs> like that. She does not have a southern accent at all. <laughs> but for some reason, when I do accents about my mom, they suddenly come out incredibly southern every time. <laughs> every time, I can vouch for that. So let's get started again. Yay! Uh, on Christmas Eve, 1945, a house fire broke out in the home of George and Jenny Sauter, along with their nine children. So there's technically 10 kids, but one's off at the army. And that would be Joe, who's 21. He's a, he's in the army right now. Okay. Well, I'm speaking in present tense. This was in 1945. Yeah. A little while ago. I definitely wasn't alive then. Um, like I said, there's nine kids. So let's get into the backstory before we get into this crap fest. For real, it's crazy. Crazy stuff. Um, George Sauter was not born George Sauter. He was born Giorgio Sidhu. I could have pronounced that terribly. He's Italian. Wait, what's his first name? His name's George. Yeah, but like... But it was Giorgio. A lot of times okay. when you would like yeah. come over... Yeah, they would... They would change your name. Yeah. I just... I don't know. So he came over here with his brother, and he never really talked about why he left Italy, which, I mean, is pretty common, too, most of the time. Yeah. They're just trying to make a better life for themselves. Um, He began working in Pennsylvania, but eventually found his way down to West Virginia. Here he met his future wife and fellow Italian, Jenny. Um, they decided to settle in the small town of Fayetteville, West Virginia, because Fayetteville had a really big Italian immigrant community. They were very well-respected family, very well-known family, but not everybody loved George Sauter in particular. He was very vocal about his disdain for Mussolini, and that kind of had the Italian immigrant community pretty torn, because... Some loved him, some hated him. Look it up in history. He's not the best dude. Yeah. (laughs) Um... One occurrence of this hostility is when a life insurance salesman, and if you've heard this case, you've heard a lot oh, about yeah. this life insurance salesman. What um, a man. He came to the household of George and Jenny Sauter, and when George basically told him that he wasn't going to get any business there, he proceeded to tell George, your GD house is going to go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. You're going to pay for the dirty remarks you've been making about Mussolini. Super sketchy. Yeah, and that's... Super sketchy, especially yeah. when we start talking about exactly what happened. Yeah, people can say the political climate nowadays is rough, but true. That's pretty they rough. They don't even too. know. <laughs> you don't even know. I mean, this this insurance salesman was like, "You're gonna get it." Just yeah, wait, for buddy. real. Kids too. Um, so sad. Yeah. How how long ago was this before? So timeline wise, it doesn't really clarify, but I, from everything that I've read, it's it's pretty it, it's. I mean, within the same kind of realm. It's not okay. like years before right. or anything like that. Okay. I was just wondering if it was like 
days. Weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. From what I've read, and I've read so many timelines, and that's why later yeah. on in the story, the timelines get so confused mm-hmm. because no one's really exactly sure when all of this happened, like by the hour wise. Right. But that wasn't the only instance where the Sauters were kind of threatened and lack of a better word. Another man came by the Sauter residence looking for a job. George turned him away and then he pointed, the man pointed to the two outside fuse boxes and said, this is going to cause fire someday. Convenient. George found this pretty suspicious. (laughs) Uh, Because he had just had the power supply company come by and check his house because he had a new electric stove put in. Could you imagine... That's just such a random thing to say. Imagine somebody oh, coming to real. your house and you turning them away and they like point to your air conditioner and you're, you're like, I would be, this is a fire hazard. It's going to cause your whole house to burn down. I would be threatened. I would be like, is it? Yeah. You want to bet? <laughs> no, I'd be like, oh, I might want to get that checked out again just to be sure. Yeah. Well, before Christmas, the older Sauter boys saw a suspicious car pa- parked along Highway 21 for a few days in a row. Like, this was a reoccurring thing. Mm-hmm. A man inside the car was watching the Sauter children closely returning from school, especially the younger ones. Mm. Which is straight up creepy. Uh, yeah, for real. So now we get into the events of Christmas Eve 1945. Um, to kick off our timeline, Marion, she's the oldest daughter's sister, had arrived home from her job at the dime store in town, which is basically like an old school dollar store. Everything was a dime. Oh, she still had those. Yeah, for real. Makes me think of those 99 cent stores. Oh, yeah. There was one of those in Puerto Rico. <laughs> was there really? Yeah, there was. Wow. I like the five and under, five and below. Yes. I, I know exactly those what you're nice. talking about. Those are cool. I love a good dollar store, man. Yeah, me too. I remember good stuff. They honestly do. The amount of pins. Man, I get like hair stuff. stuff. They have some really good hair things. They do. Man. Imagine all that being a dime. For real. We really went on a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Um, She bought some younger. She bought some younger. She bought some toys (laughs) for her younger sisters for Christmas. Um, Their father and two older brothers, Joe and George Jr., had already gone to bed. And their mother was headed to bed with the youngest daughter, Sylvia. Jenny let the girls stay up past their usual bedtime to play with their gifts. Uh, at the time, Maurice and Lewis were outside finishing up their chores. Between 10 and 10.30, Jenny and Sylvia headed to bed. So it doesn't exactly say if Maurice and Louis were already outside. I'm going to call him Lewis and Louis because he's Italian, so part of me wants to call him Louis. Mm-hmm. But it says it's spelled like Lewis. Yeah. So that's the same person. They obviously did not have two kids. One <laughs> named Lewis, yeah. one named Louis. That'd be... Not very smart. Confusing. Yeah. Um, at midnight, the house receives a call, and Jenny makes her way downstairs to answer the phone. The caller was a woman Jenny was not familiar with, but did note that she had a weird laugh. She also heard glasses clinking in the background and a man speaking. The woman asked for a name Jenny didn't recognize, and she told her she had the wrong number and hung up. Um, but before she made her way back to bed, she noticed the curtains weren't closed, the front door was unlocked, and the lights were still on. These were things that the kids always did before they went to bed. Um, Marion was asleep on the couch, and from what she could tell, all the other kids were asleep upstairs. Um, So she basically did the nightly ritual of lock doors, close curtains, turn off all the lights and everything like that. 
When she began to finally go back to sleep, she heard a loud bang on the roof above her and then something rolling. As she later described, something hit the roof like a rubber ball. It rolled and hit the ground with a thump. She didn't think much of it and then she went back to sleep. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I don't know if I'll think much of mm. I mean, would that be a little concerning? Nah, I don't know. It'd probably I mean, it freak me out depends, a little bit. Like, if there's trees around their yeah. house. Because I was thinking, we have acorns fall all the time. Yeah. And those things are freaking too. loud. Yeah, but like our house, there aren't any trees really very close. Yeah, there's I no mean, trees. A pretty tall Really house. around my house either. I don't know. I'd probably just think it was a neighbor <laughs> on some kind of something. <laughs> and especially with the the lady and the weird laugh. Like, I understand why that's included in all of these recounts, mm. but I don't really feel like it has anything to do with anything. I think it was just yeah. a lady got drunk at a bar and made a wrong call. Yeah, and with some of these things, you just wonder how many of them are coincidences. Like yeah, just- exactly. I mean, weird coincidences happen all the day. I cannot tell you how many spam calls I get, like, yeah, and how many just random people call my phone all the time. But I also wonder because, I mean, these two guys showing up and saying what they did, I also wonder how many times people came to their house mm-hmm. and I mean maybe stuff like that didn't happen but I don't know like events like that kind of occurred almost like if it was uh I don't know how to say this without sounding like crazy suspicious mm-hmm. but like someone called to make sure that they were home yeah yeah and then caught their house on fire yeah but I'm getting ahead of myself <laughs> yeah uh The next time she woke up was around 1 to 2 a.m. And this is when the timeline gets a bit foggy. Things vary between hours. Like, we're not totally sure how long it takes. Yeah. Um, This was about 30 minutes after the roof incident. She smelled smoke and saw smoke begin to fill the room. When she got up, she found the room George used for his office was on fire around the telephone line and fuse box. Hmm. Which is weird. Imagine that. Jenny woke up, woke him, and he in turn woke the older sons. Unfortunately, the staircase to the attic had begun to fill with fire. Oddly, when the Sauters yelled up to the attic, they heard no response from the younger children. As Jenny explained in her own words, I ran to the bottom of the stairs where the children were supposed to be sleeping. I yelled and yelled. The two boys, John and George Jr., came stumbling down. Their hair was singed by the flames. My thing is, if you think there's a fire, are you not going to save your, like, kid siblings? Yeah, you would... Did they ever give, like, an account of exactly what happened? One of them did. Um, And I'll actually read that. Okay. That is... mm, One of them, I think it's George Jr., talks about how he went back up to check on them and couldn't get the rest, couldn't get up the stairs. Oh. But, okay, that's the first thing I'm going to do if my house is on. Like, okay, my house did catch on fire once. It was the day before Thanksgiving. It was me, my mom, and my little brother were there. And the only person who jumped to, like, save the day was unfortunately me. (laughs) (laughs) Well. I, my mom was freaking out. Which, I mean, if my house was on fire the day before Thanksgiving, I'd probably be freaking out too. 
But mm-hmm. I wasn't freaking out because I was a teenager and I was like, what if? Let me go back to sleep. <laughs> okay, it's 3 a.m. Because they're causing too much uh, racket. Meanwhile, my little brother, and he might hate me for telling the story, was literally just trying to get his Xbox together, <laughs> running around in a circle with his shirt off, like freaking out. I can't you not freaking out. And meanwhile, I'm like, someone go get me the fire extinguisher. One of us needs to keep an eye on this fire. Well, now we know how you act in, you know, intense situations. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, I guess. But nonetheless, like. Yeah, so. I don't know. He probably just really doesn't. I mean, it was very early in the morning. True. I mean, very. I mean, you're groggy when you first wake up. I mean, when that happened to you, it was probably during the day. No, it was at night. We woke up. And it was filling with smoke. Well, you know, sometimes people react to things differently. Everybody reacts to things differently. So, fight or flight. Yeah. We know that the solders were flight. Yeah. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Um, so George, Jenny, Sylvia, Marion, John, and George Jr. got out. John said in his first police interview after the fire that he went up to the attic to alert his siblings sleeping there. Though he later changed his story and said that he called up there and did not actually see them. Oh. Yeah, so I was wrong earlier. It wasn't George Jr. It was John. Okay. Marion had left the rest of the family and headed to a neighbor's house to call the fire department. The operator turned out to be unavailable. (laughs) A nearby man saw the flames and also attended to call the fire department. Didn't work out for him either. Um, someone had seen the fire and went straight to the fire chief, F.J. Morris. And eventually someone was able to contact the fire department through the phone in the middle of town. You know what? That's a good thing about small towns is, you know, when you see stuff that's a little out of the ordinary, normally, normally people are like, hey, you know what? Somebody yeah. should do something about that. There was they a house on do. fire around here and Dustin called the fire department. See? Yeah. It's good old West Virginia for you. It's Neighbors always trying to help. Houses I mean, touch on fire. Thing, which, I mean, I guess, I mean, it didn't, didn't turn out too great for them in this situation. But, I mean, better than them not showing up at all. True. So, so Marion went off. She was gone. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the rest of the family were looking for the ladder that they commonly kept beside the house. And it was nowhere to be found. Both of George's work trucks would not start, even though the previous day they were working fine. And the truck's ladder, all of this was going to be used to get up to the attic to save the right. other kids. Um, the house was destroyed in 45 minutes. That was just so crazy to me. Think about, ugh, I Think about how long it took us to light that bonfire a couple days ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably about that much time. I kept repeating over and over again. How do people catch houses on fire? <laughs> Me and my that life was all you. Never be arsonist. No. I literally had like a tiny torch and could not catch <laughs> anything on fire. It was. Th- you just kept throwing leaves on it. And we were just, oh, God. <laughs> Arson is never going to be in my repertoire of, yeah, me either. of mischievous acts. <laughs> uh, when the fire department showed up, it's a bit conflicting, but it's still somewhere between 7 and 9 a.m. This fire began between 1 and 2 in the morning. If you've ever been to Fayetteville, West Virginia, it's not that big. Yeah, no. I don't know about them, but I mean, I'd be ticked. Like, I would be, if I was was them, I would be so mad. I would lose it. I, oh God. I don't get mad, like, at all, really. 
But And when I say that Fayetteville is small, the fire department was located two miles from their home. They searched through the rubble of the home till about 10 to 11 a.m. Some reports claim they found organs and bone fragments, but chose not to tell the family, which I totally call BS, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but most people believe that they found nothing there. Yeah. Um, but they also say that the search was hasty and not well done. Like, multiple sources say that it was hasty and not well done. And who was investigating this? This was just local to fire permit. Fire yeah, so... Well, I mean, it also took them how long to get there? Yeah, so exactly. I'm not really, like, saying that the uh, 1945 Fayetteville fire, fire department. department is dependable. <laughs> the fire was chalked up to faulty wiring, and the fire chief, F.J. Morris, believed the fire must have been burned hot enough to cremate the bodies. Does he... Now, let me explain how both of those things are 10 out of 10 stupid. (laughs) Please tell me. Faulty wiring can be disputed with the fact that the solders saw the lights still on in the house as it burned down. Oh, yeah. Because they had to turn them on to get out of the house in the first place. This is a multi-story house. Okay. Have you ever tried to walk downstairs with the lights off? Yeah, I've almost killed myself a couple times trying to do that. Yeah, it's sketchy and they had a two to three year old sylvia was like two to three years old and the rest of these kids weren't very old either yeah and the christmas lights outside were still on yeah eventually the fire like burned them up but when they first walked outside the christmas lights were still on plus as i mentioned earlier george Sauter had replaced the old wiring and put in a new electric stove and had all of the wiring in the house inspected just before this Now, here's how the cremated bodies is a bunch of crap. After Jenny herself did research with animal bones and asked a crematorium worker, charred bones would remain after a fire burned 2,000 degrees for two hours. This fire only burned for 45 minutes. Adding to how this is crap is that there were still kitchen appliances left in the rubble. It's just not adding up. does not add up. No. So, here, there weren't many witnesses to the fire itself, but there were still a few. Mm-hmm. A neighbor saw a man stealing a block and tackle, which is used to remove car engines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the solders during the fire. Police later arrested him, and he admitted that he had climbed up and cut the wires. The man said he thought he had snipped an electrical cable. But it appears that he cut the telephone wires instead, which is why Marion couldn't call from there. I mean, other than the fact that the house was on fire. Right. <laughs> that makes me think of um, one of the scary movies where they're like, the caller's in the house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's like the first thing that I thought of. Um, which also lines up with what a telephone workman said when he came and explained what lines were working and what lines weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, the telephone line had not been burned at all. Because it was cut. Oh. Yeah. And from what I can find, this arrest didn't lead up to anything. And in a 1968 interview with Jenny, she explained that the Sauters would not have been able to escape their home without power. So. Okay, but why? why this guy did didn't nothing? cut the power. Why did. But he still was arrested, and wanna... it was never... Like, I have no idea what happened to this guy. I don't even yeah, know his name. Yeah, see, I want to know 
I just want to know what happened in that interrogation room. If he was even interrogated, because it doesn't even sound like... Yeah, exactly. It doesn't sound like any of this was taken seriously, honestly. The next witness was a bus driver who worked the late shift, and he said that he saw balls of fire landing on the roof. Mm-mm-mm. Which also makes me think of that, that song that I'm not going to sing. <laughs> <laughs> um, the fire chief have it, had informed George not to mess with the remains of the house, and that's it for witnesses, by the way. Oh. Um, so that the fire marshal could come and inspect the grounds and everything like that. Yeah. But after four days, George Sauter bulldozed over the land with five feet of dirt in hopes to make a memorial garden. Poor George. Yeah. I do feel bad for him, yeah. honestly. And I don't really blame him because, honestly, they're dragging their feet. Like, there's just two... Oh, man. They just really... Nobody yeah. did very well in this situation. No. I mean, they were they were really getting pooped on a little bit in this yeah. whole thing. So they hired a pathologist from D.C. to go through the land and did end up finding small pieces of vertebrae, but it's believed to come from the dirt used to cover the house's remains. Um, there were also these pieces of vertebrae were sent to the Smithsonian, but the age of the boy and the vertebrae belonged to was somewhere between 16 and 20 which was not the age range the Sauter boys fell into, who would have gone missing in and the fire. And that's so random to me that, like... There was just bones would, in it? Yeah, I would want to know whose I don't know, it was some were. person from Mount Hope, because that's where they got the dirt from. <laughs> For so some weird. reason, it included that in all the articles that I read. It was like, it was Mount Hope dirt. And <laughs> that's I was so like, um, Thanks for the information. I was really concerned. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> um... So the bones were returned to George Sauter and never seen again. Like, no one knows what happens to these bones. The next day, the local coroner held an inquest about the supposed death of the five Sauter children, which is basically just a jury to be like, they died of natural causes. Mm -hmm. Like, sometimes when a person dies of, like, mildly suspicious causes, they'll hold a jury and be like... I don't know about still. Oh, okay. But because I'd, I'd never heard of that before. One of the people on this jury was the salesman who told George that his house and his kids were going to burn to the ground. Whoever picked this jury sucked. And the fire was once again ruled faulty wiring. On December 30th, the five children were issued death certificates, and on January 2nd, 1946, their funeral took place. That's not very long. No. Uh, also, it talks about how George and Jenny didn't go to the funeral. Because, I mean, how could you? All the yeah. siblings went, but, like, as a parent, that would, like, five of your kids. And you don't know what happened to them. Half. I mean, that was half of their children. Yeah, half those, of their like, kids. Like, all those years of raising them. It, yeah. So, so sad. Which... Which is why this all makes sense. Not long after, the Sauters began to deny the claim of faulty wiring and started digging into the mystery of what they believed to be their children's disappearance. Yeah, that's right. Returning to the scene of the fire, the youngest Sauter, Sylvia, found a hard rubber object in the yard. George concluded that it was a napalm pineapple bomb commonly used in war. They also found their ladder, which was thrown into an embankment 75 feet from their home. Yeah, they also heard of people sighting their children even as early as the night of the fire. Wow. Yeah, and that's where we're going to get into the sightings. 
Some local reports say that they saw the children driving away and peered out the window watching the house burn. So, like, they saw the kids driving away while the house was burning down and the kids were looking at the house. That was horrible. Oh, man. Could you imagine? First of all, I think you've mentioned this before, but you don't know if the rest of your family is okay. But also, you know that your family doesn't know that you're okay. Yeah. And that would be hard and especially when you're still just a kid i mean these kids weren't old at all and they're having to go through all of this like one of the youngest ones that were missing was only five so these kids i mean it's not like whoever did kidnap them if they were kidnapped was garbage person for real it's so horrible um one sighting which is from what I can tell, people genuinely think it happened. Mm-hmm. A truck stop worker located 50 miles west between Fayetteville and Charleston, which would mean that they would be heading north, claims to have seen the children the next day. She told police, I think they would be heading north. That's west. Geography Please don't ask me. You. I don't know. Oh, let's, uh, let's ignore what Bell just said. <laughs> um, she was serving them breakfast, and they had two Italian-speaking adults with them. The waitress said... And the only statement that I could find with her was from this. There was a car with a Florida license plate at the tourist court, too. Wow. So helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So whether that car was confirmed to be the one that took the solder children or not is Mm. still unconfirmed. A woman at the Charleston Hotel saw the children's photos in a newspaper and said she had seen the four of the five... A week after the fire. Wow. Yeah. The children, this is her quote. The children were accompanied by two women and two men, all of Italian extraction. In the statement, she continued to say, I do not remember the exact date. However, the entire party did register at the hotel, stayed in a large room with several beds. They registered about midnight. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to these kids. One of the men looked at me in a hostile manner. He turned around and began rapidly speaking Italian. Immediately, the whole party stopped talking to me. I sensed that I was being frozen out, and so I said nothing more. They left early the next morning. See, that account, I just feel like, is so important in this case. I feel like later on we'll probably discuss, like, our theories, but... But also, they didn't hear about this account until years later. Yeah, this wasn't directly after. They didn't hear about this account until years later. Wait. Wait. Yeah, she saw them the night of, but she saw their photos in a newspaper and then called and was like, yeah, I saw these kids the night that it happened. Well, four out of five of them. So one of them is already. Who knows? yeah. Yeah, we don't know. And lastly, a missionary saw a picture of the children in the paper and claimed that he saw the children in a house in Cortez, Florida. A private detective who investigated this lead said that they were there but were gone. Five different people claimed to have seen them in Cortez. That's a lot of people. Yeah, that is a lot of see people. Them. Especially five kids. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too. Or four kids. How many kids were at this point? Yeah. That's a- exactly. Not... That's not a common thing to see five kids who look exactly alike, basically just roaming around. Because if you've seen pictures of these kids, and we'll post them on our Instagram, they look alike. Like, they're obviously 
siblings. Right. And so that was it when it came to the sightings of the Sauter children. Also, um, what kind of accents do you think they had? The they, kids I mean, themselves. I'm sure they probably, I mean, they probably like had a very Americanized accent. But I'm, yeah, thinking, but I'm thinking if you're like, an Italian American, like Italian immigrant community, you will have a bit of I'm just an Italian. To like, think these kids would they have like a mix of a Southern accent and an Italian accent? And the only reason I say that is mm-hmm. because that would. I mean, I feel like if I met someone with that kind of dialect, I would pay attention to it. And they were going somewhere in or out of the country, definitely out of the state. So, I feel like that'd be pretty memorable. Uh, Yeah. Because, I mean, depending on what part of West Virginia you're from, you have some kind Mm -hmm. of accent. I mean, we go places and people say things about our accent in different states. My accent just, like, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. <laughs> so fast forward to 1947 when George and Jenny attempted to get the FBI involved. They did receive a letter back from J. Edgar Hoover stating, I said his name so weird, J. Edgar Hoover stating, although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be a local character and does not come within the investigation jurisdiction of this bureau. The FBI agents said they would assist if they could get permission from local authorities. The Fayetteville Police and Fire Department declined the offer. Which, as I'll continue to tell, F.J. Morris, honest to God, should win an award for worst fire chief in this case. (laughs) I mean, I just don't understand. Why not? I mean... Exactly. I mean, if you're not worried about, like, getting caught or being suspicious, then why don't you just have the FBI come and help you out? Because then, if nothing else, that makes you look better. That makes you look like you're trying. What do they lose from exactly? Saying, They're not losing yeah, anything. Sure, the it's just, come. I don't know. A part of that makes me so suspicious. Me too. That it was like a town thing. Like everybody got together and was like, and again, I mean, it's a pretty close knit community. Exactly, and I Italians mean, and if you were allegiant to Mussolini, I'm sure that you accompanied yourself with other like minded people. Yeah, and so definitely. it was just one of those things where I don't know. I don't know. Sometime after that, George had seen a picture in the newspaper of some children in New York. He believed one of them to be his daughter, Betty. He drove to Manhattan, New York, and eventually found the child's parents. But they refused to speak to him. And Betty was the five-year-old. This might be one of my least favorite facts of this entire I know. And she would have been, this was 1947, so she would have been around like seven at the time. Seven, eight years old. That is so sad. Yeah. And Which, just, I mean, it makes you think, why didn't the parents just let him see her? But also, imagine if that someone would showed be up at my door and was like, hey, can I see your seven year old kid? I'd be like, no, you need to leave. I'm going to call the cops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same here. Like, it's still sad, though. I would be like, no, this is definitely my kid. Okay. And still, he probably, if you I mean, were that excited, he probably was not very, like, you know, this is the situation. This is what happened. Oh, yeah. Because you think that's your missing kid. Yeah, exactly. It's heartbreaking, honestly. Like, my heart really does break for George and Jenny because they fought with all they had to get these kids. Mm -hmm. Um, The Sauters decided to hire a private investigator named C.C. Tinsley. (laughs) What a name. Love it. I envy that name. (laughs) I wish I had a cool private detective name. Me too. My, like... Ooh, I wonder what his, like, 
I mean, I'm sure those are initials. I wonder what his actual name is. I don't know. I totally just go by CC. Yeah, I would too. Like, how much better could you get than that? Yeah. I remember before I got married, Belle Lily. I freaking loved my name. Like, <laughs> I was like, yes, this is my yeah. name. Now I'm Belle Brenny. I mean, it's okay, but. Hannah Montana. Hannah Montana. <laughs> <laughs> Fun facts about Miley. <laughs> um, and he was from the nearby town of Golly Bridge, which is literally like right beside Fayetteville. Yeah. I've gotten lost there once. Which is not surprising if you just heard me give geography <laughs> advice earlier. I can get lost literally anywhere. I got lost in Charleston and I've driven there a half a million times. Uh, he is the one who discovered the insane salesman. Literally, it says insane salesman in my notes. Um, had been on the jury to determine that the fire was an issue of faulty wiring. And this was two years after this jury happened. So they did not That's keep the solders in this loop whatsoever. Yeah, no. Which is so crappy. Mm-hmm. He also heard from rumors in the town that Fire Chief F.J. Morris had a local minister speak with him. And he told this local minister that there was a heart discovered at the scene of the fire. Morris also claims to have taken the heart from the scene and placed it in a metal box and buried it. Which is weird. So weird. George and Tinsley went to Morris and confronted him about these claims. Morris agreed to show the two where they had buried the metal box, and they dug it up. They brought the contents of the box to a funeral director, who, after examining it, told them it was a beef liver. That's just still so odd to me. Beef what? Liver, why? First of all, why would you even say that? And second of all... Just why? Why would you do that? Because F.J. Morris is the worst. Agreed. The worst. 100%. Yeah. He's a sketch guy. Sorry, um, guys, if any of you know this man the funny or his thing family. Is my uncle, his last name is Morris, and he is from Fayetteville. Well, I was like, Mom, are they related? And she <laughs> that's was embarrassing. Like, she was like, I don't know. And I was like, I think they are. <laughs> I wouldn't claim him. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not. Um, George sent the liver to Washington and had it tested and they reconfirmed that it was definitely a, definitely a liver. So weird. Um, there was a rumor in Fayetteville that at the time Morris had lied about finding the heart at the scene of the fire. He buried the box in hopes that the solder would find it and finally believed the children had died in a fire. If I found a oh. heart in a box though, I'm going to be <laughs> like, who put this heart in this box? Yeah. Whose true. heart is this? Are they trying to grow a Frankenstein? What's what? happening here? <laughs> I just, what part of that made any sense to him at all? I don't know. Maybe he had one of those, like, Dr. Frankenstein moments where he was, like, wanting the creature, and he was like, I'm going to bury this heart. Maybe if I bury it, the slaughter children will grow from it. I mean, that would make more sense than what he Yeah, who knows what his do. logic was. So, the Smithsonian report prompted two hearings at the Capitol in Charleston, after which Governor Oki L. Patterson, Oki, this man's name was Oki, and the state police superintendent, W.E. Burchett, told the Sauters their search was hopeless and declared the case be closed. Honestly, O'Keel Patterson, don't know what else he did in his career as a governor of West Virginia, but he sounds like he really sucks, too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the FBI decided it had jurisdiction as a possible interstate kidnapping, but dropped the case after two years following fruitless leads. George and Jenny then decided to set up two billboards, one where their house was located along Route 16, and me and you went there. Sure did. We'll put pictures of that on Instagram, too. Yep. 
It was terrifying. <laughs> and we, we literally did we, not stop. We we drove by and took pictures. But we might as well have stopped because we only drove by it about 10 times. Yeah, for real. <laughs> These people will probably should have called the cops on this. <laughs> because... Sorry, oh, guys. God. Yeah, if you're listening to this, whoever lives in that house, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. Well, yeah, there's sun. Oh, yeah. Disclaimer. Don't go there. No, don't. There's, there's a, a scary sign, sign. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Leave those poor people alone. Yeah. Um, there was another setup along Route 60. These signs and flyers the solder handed out were boasting a $5,000 reward which was later raised to $10,000. They maintained the board for 37 years. And in the end, they had spent more than $15,000, which is $200,000 in today's. On a slew of private investigators, travel expenses across the country, and the billboards, keeping up the billboards. Because George went to Texas, Michigan, New York. He went all over the place looking for these kids. This poor man. Yeah. Many claims of seeing the now older Sauters were received from around the country, and George investigated every single one of them. In 1968, 23 years after the fire of the Sauters, received a letter and a picture in the mail. Strangely, the letter was solely addressed to Jenny, and it was postmarked in Kentucky, but had no return address. Inside was a photo of a man in his mid-twenties. On the opposite side, a cryptic handwritten note read, Louis Sauter, I love brother Frankie, I-L-I-L, boys, A90132, or 35. So strange. Which sounds like aliens took the Sauter's <laughs> Yeah, really. Like, Let me send back this heartwarming postcard <laughs> with weird letters and numbers. That's so strange. I just wonder if somebody just did this. I mean, that would like be a like cruel a cruel prank. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If it was a cruel prank, I just feel like they would write something different than that. Yeah, something nicer, not something so like... It doesn't even make like sense. Like A90132 or 35. And I love Brother Frankie. Was there even a Frankie in the children? No. I don't know where there was Frankie not, come from. There was not one Frankie in this family. It just makes you wonder, where did it come from? Yeah. Jenny and George could not deny the resemblance to their son, Louis, who was nine at the time of the fire. And this was 23 years later. So... I don't know. It could have been him. <laughs> yeah. The obviously sim- the obvious similarities were the dark curly hair, the dark brown eyes. They also had the straight, same straight, strong nose and same upward tilt of the left eyebrow. Which. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we'll just leave that. Yeah. There. Who knows? Once again, they hired a private detective and sent him to Kentucky. They never heard from him again. George and Jenny Sauter would receive leads in the form of photos or antidotes from people who claimed to have heard information about the incidents. None of these proved to be reliable. They did include the newest picture of Frankie. I mean, Louis. <laughs> Frankie. <laughs> Man, I can't help it. Um, the one that they received from Kentucky, they put it on the billboard. Because, mm. I mean, even if it's just a chance. I'm yeah, sure that's they wanted to shoot their shot. So Seriously. Um, George vowed to continue his search for his children. He said, time is running out for us, but we only want to know if they die, if they did die in the fire, we want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. 
1968, George Sauter died at the age of 73, and his gravestone says, who believed in justice for everyone but was denied justice by the law when his five children were kidnapped Christmas Eve, 1945, at Fayetteville, West Virginia. Uh, that just breaks my heart. And we, we, went, we went there. Yeah, that was horrible. And it... Oh, God. So sad. It really was. To see that and to see that he... I mean, literally... He dedicated his life to finding his kids. Seriously, after this happened in 1945, like, he searched and searched and searched and traveled the country and did whatever he could to find these kids. And it's heartbreaking. The the heartbreak that he went through was heartbreaking to read about. Um, I can't... I don't know how... Like, he had a business during that time. Yeah. And I can't imagine what he did, like, business-wise. But, I mean, he probably lost out on business whether that's working or just time i mean he lost out on all that money he just (laughs) yeah that's just too much i can't even fathom that after george's passing it said that jenny built a fence around their home and continued tending to the memorial garden that they had built in honor of the kids she wore black exclusively as a sign of mourning until two she passed away in 1989. It wasn't until after her death that the billboard was taken down by her family. Her surviving children, as well as her grandchildren, continue to try and find their missing family members. And that was Maurice, 14, Martha, 12, Louis, 9, Jenny, 8, and Betty, 5. And I feel like, I mean, this is a heartbreaking case, but I feel like just us talking about it is still keeping... Mm-hmm. It's. I feel like it's honoring the Sauter family. Like we're yeah. still reminding people that these five kids, even though this was in 1945, long before us or our parents were even born, right? These kids went missing, and and they still matter. Yeah, definitely. And one of the children is still alive. Sylvia. And talks- from last I checked, she still. I mean, she has, um, everything from last I checked. She had an article up in West Virginia Magazine and still was adamantly trying to find these kids, which would now be, you know, older than them since she was the youngest. And honestly, I feel like if this is ever going to be found out, it's going to be through DNA matching for sure. Yeah, definitely. But. Still such a crazy case. It really is. And it's super sad. And Mm -hmm. I mean, the only positive light out of this is that we got to find out about CeCe Tinsley. Yeah. (laughs) What a name. (laughs) Yeah, for real. But the whole town was just kind of sketchy, though. I freaking love Fayetteville, too. Like, that's one of my favorite places yeah, in the world. But then back then, I feel like I would have been, like, not totally digging it. <laughs> like, no, definitely not. But you should definitely go to Fayetteville now. Great tourism spot. Yeah, they have a bridge really? day. Oh, I, yeah. could, I could do a whole podcast episode about how much I love Fayetteville. <laughs> go to Secret Sandwich Society. Get some pizza from Pies and Pints. Yes, Pies and Pints. Go see the I bridge. It. It's a super Pretty, cool bridge. Yeah, it really is. Very cool. But, yeah. That was the Solder Children case. Thanks for listening. That was another episode of Appalachian Monsters and Mysteries. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at AMMPod and like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash AppalachianMM. You can also email us at AppalachianMM at gmail.com. Thanks for exploring the weird and wild and spooky parts of Appalachia with us.